Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. I was like, if I had a seizure right now, they would all think it was an act out and I would be dead before they realized that this wasn't a bit. And I had that I had that realization and I couldn't say it out loud because I was in the middle of a panic attack about it. So I just had to like get through my set thinking I'm not having a seizure. I'm not having a seizure. I was just like having this like crazy traumatic like fucking moment up there. And I just had to like finish my set. Hot breath. What's goody, Hot Breathiverse? Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. It's your boy, comedian Joel Byers, here with yet another amazing interview all about the craft of comedy. We have over 400 interviews with comedians, and our guest today actually just released a comedy special with Comedy Central called Whiskey Fists that's available now for free on YouTube, but she joined us in our Hot Breath Pro Comedian Incubator group to help answer member questions and also give insight to her experience in the pandemic and mental health and so many other very valuable topics that are so relevant to comedians and comedy fans in general as well. So if you're a comic looking to level up your game, go into the description of this episode to learn more about how you can become a member of Hot Breath Pro and get access to these types of Q&As that we do in there. But without further ado, there is only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath. With Rosebud Baker. The hilarious Rosebud Baker, everyone. Welcome, Rosebud, to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is where applause would happen if we had audiences anymore, I guess. <laughs> I actually, uh, I have sound effects, but I don't think you can hear them via Skype. But the people watching can hear the sound effects, so... Oh, nice. Great. So we're, That's beautiful. Yeah, this is my big break. I mean, this, this Q&A show is going to be my big break. I've been doing comedy 10 years, but it's going to be a Skype show that takes me to the next level. I love it. <laughs> so first off, um, we're going to jump into listener questions, but I actually had a few just to start off with. And one, because a common question we've actually gotten are especially from newer comics, is like, should I use my real name or a stage name? And I know you specifically with Rosebud is, uh, your real name's Rosemary, but you go by Rosebud on stage. What, what made you decide to do a stage name and would you recommend it for a comedian? I didn't, it, actually, I didn't decide on a stage name. I've just been called Rosebud since I was a kid. Okay. So um, I never went by Rosemary. Um so in a way, it's like a stage name, but it's also just like my name as far as it's what I've been called. Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't, you know, the short answer is I, I didn't. Um, yeah, that, that was it. Oh, I was just okay. like, that's what I've been called, and I'll just call myself that. And uh, yeah, because Rosemary feels like someone in a wheelchair. I don't know why. It just, I can... <laughs> picture myself old <laughs> in a wheelchair and then I might change it to, to Rosemary. 
Okay, perfect. I was trying to start off with be like, hey, I did a little research. And you're like, actually, I've been called Rosebud my whole life. It's not really that. Well, big it's kind of, of a, a tricky. <laughs> it's a tricky thing because it's like convoluted. You know, yeah. it's not that like cut and dry fact. But I was like, I was impressed that you knew it was Rosemary because that's uh, I mean, that's hidden pretty much. I, it's not that I tried to, but I just don't have it anywhere other than government documents. So that's what we um, do here. Yeah, I go. I like. I'm like a private <laughs> investigator. And I research guests, and like my favorite is when people yeah. are like, "Yo, who have you been talking to?" That like kind of like <laughs> yeah. Nardwar, but of like comedy. So right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another popular question we get is in terms of like going full time into comedy, and you started in New York, and you started as an actor, and then you kind of went into comedy just because a friend recommended that would be the only thing you're good at. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, when, is right. <laughs> what, what was that early? Well, one jumping into comedy, in New York, that's pretty much just jumping into the lion's den. But what were those early years like out on the grind? And how have you been able to, cause you've only been doing comedy like six, seven years. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah. Six years. So like how, what is that early grind? But then also six years, I mean, you've, you've almost become almost like the face of Comedy Central in a lot of ways. You're all over their content. So how were you able to excel so quickly from like that early grind? Um, I, you know, it's funny because everybody says that it's been so fast and um, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like I've been doing it for uh, like it just feels like I've been doing it forever <laughs> but I think that's just because of how exhausted I am mm -hmm. and um so you've done all this research so you probably know that I'm an addict and mm -hmm. I uh I think I just put all of that addict energy into working and um you know the first couple years I remember I was barking on McDougal Street, as you do. Wow. And uh, it was like, uh, I remember it was like when the polar vortex hit and none of us had known what the fuck that was. We'd never even heard of that. We were like, what is a polar vortex? And then it, it came and we were like, holy shit. Like it was so cold that my bones hurt, you know, like it felt like my bones were made of metal. And um so it was that kind of cold. And I remember just sitting out there like I was so happy. Like I had no idea how unhappy I should have been. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't know like how terrible my life really was. But I because I just loved it. Like I really loved doing comedy. I loved being around the people. I loved um, the community of it. And uh, and I really I. I really loved the figuring out the craft of comedy. Like I knew that if someone is an actor, you know, it looks like anybody could do it. But the truth is there's like, there's a technique to acting. And I was like, I know there's a technique to comedy, but nobody will tell me what it is. And I, and the one thing that I'm really, that I, where my blind spot is, is in writing. I don't know what a, what a real joke is mm -hmm. or like how to tell a real joke. So I would watch these specials um, and I would like play the premise, write that down, pause it, you know, then play the punchline and write that down. And I did this for like three or four specials. I think I did it with Rodney Dangerfield. I did it with Schumer. I did it with a tell. 
every comic that I could think of that has like really strong joke structure and uh, don't open that door. The dogs are going to flip the fuck out. Um, and uh, so I, I basically just, I, I basically just like went for it and didn't stop. And um, you know, and here I am and I feel like I, I won't stop until it stops being fun. You know, mm-hmm. and if it stops being fun, then I know I'm uh, well, the first thing I'll do is I'm like, I'll probably look at myself and be like, what am I doing wrong that this is no longer fun for me? And then if I'm not doing anything wrong, then it might just not be for me anymore. But that, that's sort of the that's my attitude about it is I just try to um, as long as I'm enthusiastic about it, I'll keep doing it. You know? Yeah. And to keep to keep like climbing the ladder, was it just you're out on stage, you know, like four times a night and things like that. Is it just being around and then like a booker saw you here that then took you on this showcase that maybe Comedy Central or an agent saw you like what was kind of the progression from like you in the polar vortex at open mics grinding it out to then starting to get that next level of exposure? Well, it was pretty much that it was pretty much just barking and trying to get myself booked for at least for she's eating some shit on a plant. Um, I was just trying to get myself booked for like four or five years. You know what I mean? Uh Um, and then for four years and no, nobody recognized what I was doing as funny and no one really gave a fuck. I mean, you know, people were like, Oh, she's funny, but I, nothing was happening. And then I got my first, uh, Montreal audition four years in, which I think is kind of late for some people, like for people that are genuinely like nobody knows about, Hmm. I think four years kind of undercover, uh, helped me because when I did do, that when I did do the Montreal audition, that was the year that they were shooting inside jokes. And I did a, um, an interview afterwards. Uh, everyone who was auditioning was interviewing outside, you know, like introducing themselves and saying like, yeah, this is my first time, blah, blah, blah. Kind of saying what their experience was at the festival. And, um, three weeks later I got a call that they wanted to come and shoot with me for like a, two, three days to take back to the network and see if the network wanted to use me. And I was like, that's, this is weird. I don't, I don't know how real this is, but sure. Uh And then I ended up booking that. And when inside jokes started shooting and I actually got into the festival, that was when things started to like, um, move, you know what I mean? That was when things kind of started to, I got a little bit of momentum. Um, I, had worked with you know when when I got back from Montreal I had got a new manager um he was getting me out uh inside jokes dropped I start I got this like the ringers with Bill Burr yeah um and then that was in April so it all kind of just like all of that shit like happened almost on its own accord, like not to say that I wasn't trying to make it happen, but that wasn't necessarily like the goal. I mean, it was, but I wasn't, I wasn't just going for that. Like I really wanted to just be 
as funny as I could be and as authentic as I could be. Um, and I feel like I really tried to make that my number one focus. Mm. So like, I think, you know, at least if I, if I was rejected by the industry, I would have been rejected on my own terms. They would have been like, Hey, it's not your jokes. It's you. <laughs> yeah. And I would have been like, okay, well I can't help that. So fuck it. I tried. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like I, that's so valuable too to like focus on just being funny and authentic as possible. A lot of comics are what's going to get me here or there, but it's really, no, just, just focus on being funny and uniquely you and let all your opportunities come from that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you think about what has happened to you and the stories in your life and you're like, well, there's nothing really there. That's not really funny. But the truth is like, it, it's all there. Everything's there. It's all about like, what have you been through and why do you see things the way that you see them? Mm. And it doesn't have to be the only you know, you're not going to be the first person who's ever thought of anything. You're not going to reinvent the wheel, but you can be authentic. And that alone will make you unique. What was it? I, it must have been your authenticity that attracted Bill Burr to you because you did his show. And then now you have a podcast on his network as well. Like what, what was that experience like getting to work with Bill Burr and you guys connecting? Um, it was the same. I, he's like he's one of those comics that I have watched since before I ever even thought about being a comic mm -hmm. and so I, I am truly like I, I get just stupid around him um, you know like I can't even speak like the way I normally speak I just kind of like I, I just try to say nothing because I know that whatever is going to come out of my mouth is going to try to impress him. <laughs> and if I know him, he's going to feel that and it's going to be gross. So I just go catatonic around him. I just go completely silent. I was like, you know what? I'll just show up. I'll do my set. I will not. I will not try to lick his asshole in any way. And I'll, I'll just be I'll just say thank you for having me and leave it at that because I was like. Anything else I do is going to be gross because I worship the dude, mm -hmm. you know, um, and nobody wants that kind of responsibility. Nobody wants to know that they're being worshipped. It's gross, you know. So what did you like, say when you met him? Like, your happiness. When you actually saw him and met uh, him, then what did you what, like? What did you do? What was that like? I was just like, hey, it's so nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. And then he asked me questions about my life and I answered them. Uh, and I tried to just, if I said something funny, then great. And if not, then I didn't care. I just wanted to come off as like a real person. Um, and that is what it was like. I, I just, it was also very like, it was a shoot day. So it was just like, we're just going to shoot, Yeah, you know? And, uh, so we were at work and that, that is a, that's great for comics. Cause it's like, okay, we're here for a bigger thing. We're here to do a job. We'll do the job and then we'll all go home, you know? Mm -hmm. And if we connect with one another, great. I, um, Burr is like really one of those people that I'm just like, I, when people ask you, you know, like who, uh, molded your comedy and who like, he's such a good example of someone who, who he is on stage is so 
so close to who he is in person. And that's what I want. I want it to be that, you know, it's like a slight exaggeration of who I really am. So, and he's just such a perfect example of that. And he's so funny. And if you write his jokes down, they don't really sound like, I mean, there's jokes in there. There's punchlines all over the place, but he makes it look like he's just talking. And that's such a good example of a, of like a comic, you know, Yes. rather than someone who just knows how to tell jokes. Yeah. And that, that's what I admire about you is just like your, your material and the things you talk about and that you can find humor in all this darkness and it comes off as real and authentic and not like, Oh, she's trying to be edgy. You know what I mean? But it is like, she's literally just talking Mm -hmm. about her life and her experiences. And to kind of parlay this into the first question here, from uh, Skip Angel, from he's out in Louisiana, but he asked, uh, "Do you have a writing discipline or exercise that you use often? And like, do you is yeah, is there like a structure you put this dark material through to find the funny on the other side of it?" Um. Well, my stuff's. I, I think with my stuff, I have to, it's so personal that I have to do it one-on-one with people. Like I write down what it is that I think is funny. Hmm. Um, and maybe it's like a portion of a joke. Like maybe there's something that I just find funny. Like, okay, here's an example. Like I, um, <laughs> this is not going to, and this is not going to sound funny, but like I was thinking about how, um, you know, I talk about my sister's death in, in my jokes. And uh, like right now, that's kind of what I'm talking about on stage or used to be. Right, and yeah. um, I, I uh, one of the things that kind of st- has stuck with me for years is I remember being at the wake and everybody talking about how beautiful she looked. And I remember being like, uh, she looks disgusting like she's dead (laughs) you know what I mean I don't know what you guys are talking about like that and that remember I remember that being something that it's funny to me because it's so like it's just one of those things we do as human beings where we're looking at a dead body they look if you've ever seen a dead body they look like they were like um like a rough draft at a wax museum like they just they look fucked up and uh, like someone left it in the heat, you know? Uh-huh. And and I remember all my family being like, she looks so beautiful, and me being like, what? Um, and so I was trying to write that, and so I'll talk to s- certain people that I know and be like, is this funny to you? And they'll be like, yeah, that's funny. Maybe if you're going to go, you either need to go, harder on it or you need to maybe maybe water it down like a little bit and I you know I don't know how I do that but I just um it ends up happening like if I have an idea in my head of Mm -hmm. what is funny I know I'll end up writing a joke about it especially if it won't go away so is it like an exercise the same way that you would you know do inventory at your business no but it's like it's an exercise in kind of uh staying connected to what I think is funny and writing it as many different ways as possible to see what comes out and what sticks, you know? So it's like, this is funny to me. Let me bounce it off other people that I respect their sense of humor. 
<laughs> you plug that in so that I can use the other one because uh, these are dying. My computer is um, it's fucked and it doesn't have volume. So if my AirPods die, then we're then the interview's over. I'm sorry, I didn't oh, mean to snap. interrupt you. No, you're totally no, you're totally fine. Andy's a good yeah, yeah, a good sport there. Yeah, he is. He's a good sport. He um, I'm surprised. We haven't killed each other. I am actually. too. It's been forty days together now. <laughs> yeah. And how long had you been yeah. dating before you like jumped into quarantine together? Uh, we were dating for five months. Okay, so you still still a lot five to learn months. about each other. Yeah. What is the living yeah, situation and then we got there? Three days. We got engaged three days into quarantine, so we're we were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. How did he propose? Um, or did you propose? You, uh, no, he proposed, but uh, we were watching Eternal Sunshine. Uh-huh. We were watching a movie and then uh, eating. He went to Little Dom's and got uh, Italian food and then told me that there was a ring in the sauce for the tiramisu. And I was like, that's not a thing you don't put sauce on tiramisu so i was not surprised (laughs) i'm not uh i i'm like the worst person to be i'm just the worst i because i can't pretend to do something that isn't like i'm not gonna pretend to be surprised about something right if it's not surprising me Uh which doesn't mean i'm not excited about it i was super excited i was like I really feel like Andy and I are perfect for each other. I've never been able to be so much myself with anybody in my life. Um, but I, uh, he was like, were you surprised? And I was like, no, <laughs> why? <laughs> why would I be surprised? Did you cry? Did, were you like, yes, of course. Or were you like tiramisu? Really? That? <laughs> no, it wasn't that it was, he said I wasn't, he said I didn't seem excited. And I think that's just what happens when I get excited. (laughs) I think I just like, I think I just try to like put a lid on it. Um, which is something I'm working on in therapy. Uh, because I don't express my emotions fully. I like, I, I just go like, I shut down. So I was just like, yes. And then that's it. (laughs) I was just like, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So romantic. So, yeah, I might as well have fucking given him a handshake and asked him to sign paperwork. Like I was, it was I did it like a business deal. Oh my! Anyway, God. I wish I had a do-over. That's so beautiful. What a what a beautiful proposal. It's in the dessert. You have extra dessert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations, yeah. congratulations. Yeah, I've been married uh, a little over three years now. It's amazing. So. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. When you say amazing, uh, that feels like you're leaving a lot out, but okay. No, I, 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 re- I really do like, I mean, yeah, I really do like being married. I mean, it, it takes away that whole, like when you're dating or pursuing, it's like, it's a lot of work and it requires a lot of thought and like, what ifs, but yeah. now it's like you're married and you're like, well, I mean, whatever, where, where are we going to go at this? I mean, you know, there's always right. divorce, of course, but, uh, my parents have proven that a couple times, but <laughs> For, but it like yeah. yeah it lets you focus on what's more important than like oh how many swipe rights did i get today you know so it's yeah it, it opens up a new world like like having a dog but you guys have two so yeah. you're ahead of the game 
Yeah, mm. we um, we're both addicts in recovery. So we have impulse control issues. And all of those have come out in the quarantine. We have adopted a puppy. We've dyed <laughs> Andy's hair. I'm cutting my bangs. I joined TikTok. Oh. Um, we got engaged. It's I've done everything that you could possibly do in quarantine. I mean, other than get pregnant, I feel like I've done every single thing that uh, people are like, hey, maybe hold off on that. There's still time. There's still time. Right. <laughs> so let's yeah. let's um let's jump back into these questions here and um let's see. Oh yeah, we have a lot. Yeah, people people were really excited when they were seeing you were coming on here because there's not much. There's a lot of content. You have something? Yeah. Oh. Her sound died, so we're gonna take a moment. That's how I'll okay. Hi. 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 Oh, you can hear Sorry. me. Sorry. Okay. Cool. I was talking to the group. I yes. was like, I love how Sorry. angry you're getting. That's my favorite part about your humor is how you can just you're so cutting just, with it. <laughs> I was just like, God fucking damn it! Fucking, <laughs> I hate it. It's like I can't, and you can't get your goddamn computer fixed because, of course, they're like, oh, this isn't a fucking essential business, and it's like. How is it not essential? <laughs> it's the only way we can fucking talk to people right now. It's like, geez, um, I know we don't have anyway. masks, but can I get a computer, please? Yeah, I, that's all I want. <laughs> I just, everyone in America to get a new laptop. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm sorry about that. No uh, worries at all. Thanks for, um, kudos. Uh, I'm going to do an applause for Andy for sharing his earbuds with you. That's so generous. That's love right there. Could you hear me that whole time? I could hear you, but I guess you couldn't hear me. But I, oh, okay. I could hear you though. But you weren't. Oh, you weren't, weird. Yeah, you weren't responding, so I was assuming my voice wasn't going through. Okay. Um. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, what was the question you were gonna? You were about to oh, yeah. give me another we about, question. We were about to jump, start, um, start hammering out the uh, the viewer questions here. So, uh, let me see. Let's do um oh, this is a good one. Let's do let's do Carly Sherrick. She was super jazzed about this. She said, Would love to know how you see comedy evolving and adapting to social distancing guidelines that may last for a significant chunk of time. Also, best pizza in NYC. Okay, best pizza in NYC. I have a real soft spot for Fiori's next to the Grizzly Pear, which is where I would feed myself when I was um, coming up. That's I love. They've got these like tiny little pepperonis, and they're they're awesome. Mm -hmm. I love Fiori's. Um, let's see. And then, in terms of uh, how comedy is like adapting to this shit, I think here's what I think is. Um, the boom took a real hit, like for sure. We are, we were in the middle of a comedy boom that just got, uh, this isn't going to be uplifting. <laughs> I just need to preface it with that. But I think we, what is going to happen is the people that were doing arenas and, you know, theaters are going to go back to doing clubs and doing the road. And I think, you know, because it's like even theaters is too many people in one place. So 
the people that were just starting to headline like myself mm-hmm. and the people that are working towards headlining, um, we're all going to get, I think, bumped down. That's what I think is going to happen. I don't know, but that's kind of like logically where I see things going because it's, you know, they're not going to give somebody like they'll give me maybe headlining dates like on a week. I'm hoping, uh, but they're not or on a weekend, but they're not going to give me like a whole weekend if they can get Bert Kreischer in there, you know, Um, because he's just absolutely going to sell it out and people will pay more. So each ticket will be worth more and they can keep the social distancing by upselling tickets. That's what I'm seeing is going to happen. I also think a lot of clubs are not going to be able to survive this and I I hope that they can. Yeah. But I, I don't see that happening because you know, how much were they making to begin with? It's already like, uh, it's like a, I don't know. I think, I think we're a little bit, uh, fucked, but I, on the bright side, I think the people who are really meant to be doing comedy and the people who are really, who really love it will stick around. And I think the people that were in this as kind of like that saw it as a, a way to get into the business. Um, cause comedy is like a Ponzi scheme. You know what I mean? It's like, so you can climb quickly. You have access to people and connections with mm-hmm. people that you wouldn't necessarily have because comedians are so accessible. So I think there's people that saw that and that were involved in it that, uh, didn't belong here, you know? And, to those people i'm i'm so happy to say fuck off that's what mark norman said too yeah (laughs) yeah tell me it'll thin the herd this will thin the herd in a good way yeah yes i agree yeah yeah awesome and uh this was actually the first question and i i i scrolled past it but skip had also asked um what did you do for your snl audition and do you have any bizarre stories of the experience I didn't have an F- an SNL audition. I had a, I showcased for SNL and I did my stand up. but the whole time I was like, why am I here? Because I didn't know what they, I was just like there with like Larry Owens and a bunch of people that were, did characters and stuff like that. And I was sitting there the whole time just being like, okay, I, cool. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I think they were, looking at me on a writing Mm. uh, for for writing but i don't know uh there was very little about that uh audition that i was told mainly because at the time i i had reps that didn't uh didn't do a great job of communicating with me what was happening so they were just Um, like snl wants to see your stand-up and did you go in and do like the standard you show up at the the studio stage and you're just doing stand-up in front of like three people type deal uh no i did i did it at ucb so they they have showcases before they have auditions and they just kind of like look at you and they see what you do and they get to know you and i had just gotten back from montreal and so i just did what i did at montreal I cool. just did my stand-up. Yeah. Very nice. 
I wish I had more. There, I wish there was a more interesting thing there, but it was just the same as any other show. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I didn't realize uh, you had auditioned for SNL, but that. Um, but then he asked that, so I was like, oh, he must have known something. But yeah, more of those showcases because they'll do JFL showcases as well, where it's kind of like a comedy club JFL night or whatever, and then they may not pick anyone right. type deal. It's kind of more like right. a stand-up show. Yeah. So this is um. About JFL, and there's a lot of questions about inside jokes, which is where I first found you. And after episode one of that, I was like immediately Rosebud fan, like instantly. And I've been a fan since then. So there's actually a lot of inside jokes questions. Which did you get a lot of um, like new fans and new like followers from that show? Because it was very, it was a very good show. Um, I got uh. I got some, yeah. Like, I still get messages from people being like, I just saw it, I loved it, you're so funny, blah, blah, blah. And it's really nice to hear that because, you know, when um, that was all filming during the middle of, like, the Me Too stuff, hmm. and the the woman who, the executive at Amazon got fired because of something involved involving that. And I guess a woman had harassed someone anyway she was fired and so the new the new executive came in did zero promotion for it i mean it was like there were some posters around the city but that was it and uh i i was like well this sucks because no one's gonna see it but because it's up there people find it and that's the beauty of a streaming platform is like people keep they continue to find it and to look at it and they see what you've done and where you've gone since then and and it's great for that. Like it's, uh, and I feel like that's some, that was a show that I could really be proud of. Cause when I watched it, I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's me. I don't feel yeah. like I didn't, I didn't feel like I was painted in any way that was different than who I am. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I, I guess the short answer is yeah, that people, people like the show, you know? So that's great. It makes me happy. Imri asked how much JFL changed your career, both the festival and the TV show. Like, how did that change your career? I would say the show um, changed my, you know, I don't know. Like, I wonder sometimes would any of this have happened without Inside Jokes? And I honestly think that it was just like a perfect kind of combination because JFL on its own, like it can change your career, but you have to have, you have to go there not to fuck around. Like you have Mm. to go there with this idea. And this was something that occurred to me while I was there is I was like, Oh shit. Like I've just thought about getting here. I never thought about what would happen after this. And so the whole time I was there, I was kind of having this like panic attack slash realization that, I had no goals past JFL. So I was like, I need to get really serious about what could happen after this and like steer my steer my career in a way that I wanted to go. And um, I met my manager there and I had a meeting with him and I was like, this is what I want. I want to be one of the most well-respected comics. I was like, I, I don't want to be seen as a female comic. I don't want to be seen as like, I just want 
my voice to be unique enough where people stop looking at it as just female. And I, and I want to be respected in comedy the way that men are, you know? Hmm. And, um, and I was like, and the thing about it is like, as a woman to, to do that, I feel like we have to try and I'm not saying it's like we have to try harder because I think everyone is trying really fucking hard. Anyone involved in comedy is trying really fucking hard. Um, but I think with women specifically, we have to we have to have a very strong idea of exactly wh- what we want to be seen as um, so that we don't get painted in a way that's like, oh, this is like a niche comic. Like she is she speaks mostly to this group of people. Um, I love it when like, I'll go on, um, I was like checking the reviews on my podcast, which is like my current obsession. I just like check reviews on that fucking thing. Hmm. But I saw this one where this guy was like, I am a tired old man and I love listening to Rosebud. And I was like, that makes me so happy because I, I want to be relatable to tired old men and I want to be relatable to millennial women and I want to be relatable to Gen Y and I want to be, I I want it to be universal enough um, that people can relate to me, even if they don't like me, that they'll like relate. And I think that's where the authenticity, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it to- it a hundred percent makes sense. Cause that was, that's my goal with my comedy as well. And starting in Atlanta, I would do shows where I would be like the only white guy in the zip code. And then I would go and do like a hipster bar where I'm the only guy not wearing a beard and flannel shirt. And I wanted to make sure that my jokes worked in like all of those rooms. And what I found, and I think that's why yours is translating so well, is that authenticity. That that's what really breaks whatever social, economic, gender differences is if you're authentic I feel like our just biological senses will automatically gravitate towards authenticity. Yeah. I mean, people can feel when you're lying. Yes, exactly. Uh, And they can feel when you're lying to yourself. So like if you're in that stage of comedy where you're like, maybe I'll be this kind of comic. Right. Or maybe I'll be that kind of comic. Don't worry about any of that. I would say what write about something that you really fucking know about and see where it goes from there, you know? Boom. And this ties in to writing this next question from Sasha. Sasha asked, what's some of the best advice you've received that has helped you improve your joke writing? Oh, uh, don't try to be right. Try to be funny. Mm. That was, that's the best advice I've ever gotten was just don't, Cause you know, you get into that trap where you're trying to prove a point and you're not, it's not funny, you know? And a lot of my comedy is trying to prove a point, but the funny has to be there first. And if you end up losing the point to get to the joke, um, or if the point is ridiculous and the joke is stronger, um, it's, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like you're not up there to preach. You're not up there as like uh, to be the person that people look up to. You are a clown and just be funny. 
Like, even if you're a smart clown, be a smart clown. Like, you got to be a clown first. Just be a clown who's kind of smart. <laughs> yes. You know? Funny. It has to be funny. That, like, at the at the end of the day, whatever it is you want to be, like, first off, yeah, it has to be funny. You can be ironic and cool or whatever, but is it funny? Like... That's yeah. that's that's the equalizer on everything. And we've we some have gotten away from that and it's like comics think they can just deliver their way into attracting an audience, but it's like is it is it funny? Just is it funny? Yeah. You know, your your abs- yeah. absurd reference that four people got, you know, is it is it going to be funny in front of people that actually like matter, you know? Yeah, like there's um this is the and it's a trap that I fall into all the time like with that premise that I was telling you about with my uh with like seeing a dead body it's like dead bodies are ugly you know they're not good looking but we call them good looking so like like we'll be like oh she's she looks so peaceful or whatever and it's like um you know I know that I'm right about this but what's funny about that? Mm. And I'm trying to like figure that out. So it's like, it's like a verbal puzzle, you know? And if it doesn't end with making you laugh, it's not going to work on stage. Like that's it, you know? Boom. And this, this next question actually jumps into the other side of the performance equation. So we're talking about writing, but Samarpan or Samarpan, I'm sorry. This is actually um, their first time tuning into a Q&A, so welcome to the Hot breath verse um, But they ask, when did you realize that you found your voice? Um, I think... Uh, I don't know. It's so, like... It's one of those things that I think I still am trying to figure out. I think there's a lot that I still have to do. I wouldn't say that I've completely found my voice as a comic. I know I've found like where my interests lie. I know what um, I know that I'm able to pretty much be myself. But I also feel like if you're uh, a real person, that answering a question as if you've already figured it out is um, – stupid because you're constantly figuring out who you are and your voice is going to change. And, uh, as long as you can keep up with, you know, what, what is ringing true for you, that's how, you know, you're still in your voice. You're still like expressing things from your voice, from your perspective. And people talk about it. Like it's this thing out there that you'll like find someday and it's it's not it's just who you are it's like when you're in the car with uh your best friend and you say something that's hilarious to both of you and you don't even know why it's funny that that's like your voice you hear it in these little moments and then it creeps it's it finds its way into your comedy you know like sometimes i'll listen to my own comedy and i'm like god i sound so fucking angry and i sound so like um I sound so butch, you know, and it's like, I feel shame about it. Like I feel shame when I listen to myself, Hmm. but that's, if you don't feel a little bit of embarrassment, you're not risking anything. So that, 
I think is like a good indicator, you know, is if you're getting off stage and you're like, ah, do they just like know too much? (laughs) You know, I love that. If you don't feel any embarrassment, then you aren't risking anything. Kind of like if, yeah, if you're not, it's almost like if you're not bombing, you're not trying in a sense, like you're not pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I love a comic who's willing to eat shit. I love those comics. Me too. And uh, Imri had actually asked, what is your biggest, most embarrassing bomb? What is is Rosebud's Mm. one that you just will never forget? Um... God, I, I'll never forget this time. And it's so funny because it's such an inconsequential bomb in terms of like the, the broad, like, uh, the overarching thing of my career. Like it doesn't matter. It was at LOL comedy club, um, which is not a club. It's like a scam operation in times square. That's where you started, right? I went up. Yeah, and I I went up and I just bombed so bad. Like, I I forgot how to do crowd work. Like, I'd never bombed in a way where my brain just, like, stopped working. You know, where you get, like, bomb brain, and you just don't even know how to be, like, (laughs) any birthdays in the anniversaries, and you're like, what? The whole audience is looking at you like, what the fuck did you just say? (laughs) And I remember I just, like, left my body. I was like... Cause I, I walked into a bathroom stall and I just had to wait until I stopped sweating. That was what happened. I mean, I, I really just sat there and just sweated and tried to figure out what had just happened and what had I done to deserve that. <laughs> so, yeah. What went wrong? Why do you think you bombed so hard? Um, I think I was unprepared for what was about to happen. Like, I, I think I, I was sitting on the side of the stage. I was like, okay, I, I built it up in my head in a way that was like, this is the most important thing. If I fuck this up, everything's over. All of that. Like, you start telling yourself these stories, hmm. and then there's too much on the line. And you go, okay, well there's no way that I could perform with any kind of relaxation or any kind of ease. Um, if I'm making this into such a life or death situation, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to realize if you're dying on stage, it doesn't, you're not really dying. Like you're going to be fine. You just, you got to adjust whatever it is that you have to adjust. And for me, that set taught me no set is, going to kill me Mm. like i think i just needed to bomb like that you know yeah and it's i needed to bomb in a way that made me yeah i was just in my head exactly do you have a pre-show ritual now because it seemed like you were almost doomed to bomb just by how you were setting yourself up before you even got on stage do you have like a pre-show ritual now that helps you get into that mindset no if anything i try to make uh, I try to make every show as low pressure as possible. Hmm. I try to just like do what I would do on any other day. Like if somebody calls and I have an important day or an important show that night, I always pick up just because I'm like, I would pick up on a regular day, you know? Yeah. I need to like, to lower the 
the status of this show in order to do well. So I act in a way that is like, yeah, it's just a job. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I, I'm going to go. And at this point I've had so many fucking nerve wracking uh, and I'm lucky to have had them, but nerve wracking opportunities where I just thought if that bomb hadn't happened, I wouldn't know how to, how to act in, in a way that made these things possible, you know, like with auditioning at the cellar and then auditioning at the cellar a second time. And then, um, you know, auditioning for Montreal on camera, knowing that if people saw me bomb, they could go back and rewind and watch again, (laughs) you know, like that kind of shit, that pressure of filming inside jokes, um, helped me in such a huge way. Like I've done so many TV tapings now. I've done so many sets for TV and I did them all in like a four month period. And a lot of them were bad. Like I bombed several times on that, Mm -hmm. um, on that show. And I just had to be like, well, bombs happen. (laughs) They do. I really had to do that. So and it relaxed me to the point where in the middle of the ringers, I said some joke that I didn't mean to tell that I knew would get me fucking canceled if they filmed it, if they aired it. And in the middle of my set, I just looked at the camera and I was like, do not put that on TV. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say. I just don't do that, please. Right. This will be over before it starts. <laughs> and, um, and then kept going with my set. So it, it helped in a lot of ways for that. So when the, when the show's not going well, and this this ties into Earl Anderson's question, he asks advice for winning back a room. So how, when it's not going well, will you judo the audience back to being on your side? Well, I think I kind of have a privilege. I'm acting from. I'm speaking from privilege right now because, I mean, look at me. It's not. I'm not like the. I don't walk on stage and people go. Oh, fuck her. You know what I mean? I have like a really friendly face mm-hmm. and a really friendly like look. And then, so all I really have to do is like smile and ask somebody if they're dating, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not that hard for me to win a room back. Um, just because of how I look. And, and so I'm not even like the right person to necessarily ask that. Have I ever said anything that went so far that it walked people? Yes. I definitely like, I was at Zany's in Chicago and I heard somebody flip the fuck out at the end of my show. And it was like, I was like, I've been saying horrible shit this whole time. You know what I mean? And, but for some reason, this one joke just left this person. They were like, well, forget this, you know? Hmm. And, um, and I, if anything, I was just proud of that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, Oh, cool. There's a person that I, I wasn't able to win back. Like what a nice challenge. I think it's like, it's a fun thing to try to learn how to do, but you kind of have to be aware of what you look like, how, how much of an uphill battle that's going to be. And who are you when you are trying to get a job? You know, it's sort of, you have to go into that energy. Yeah. And it sounds like you, you go back to the, like, to being in the present moment. So if it's not going well, you almost, like you said, I smile and I will engage the audience in a, like a, kind way with a smile it's almost like you have to take a step back be like okay i'm 
plodding through my material bombing. Let me take a step back and just be in the moment with this audience, engage them in a genuine way, and that will almost kind of break the tension. Yeah. I mean, even if they don't like me and I don't like them, if I'm smiling, looking them in the eyes and acknowledging that fact, then that alone can break the tension, mm, I think. Yes. Like if, if I'm just looking at a, at someone in the front row and just going, hey, like, how how are you? You seem to hate me. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's so great. Like, yeah. Uh, acknowledging their body language, anything that you are picking up on in the moment, I think helps. Yeah, I just did. I just posted on our YouTube like a, um, a review of Chris D'Elia's special and just his use of smiling and how like he would mm -hmm. use a smile as like tags to his jokes or almost they would punctuate his jokes. It's like he was really good at yeah. remembering to smile and that really coerces the audience to like get on board and mirror your smile and they're already halfway to laughing if they're smiling. So super yeah. powerful, yeah. super powerful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, Brandon Cressy asks, worst city? To do comedy in? Um, I don't think I've done comedy in enough cities to really answer that question. <laughs> and also... Uh, why, why does that matter? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It just like, popped up. Yeah. She, Brandon, she's trying to get booked in cities vendetta. right now. We're not going <laughs> to. Guys just got a real vendetta. Yeah. <laughs> or like, it's like Toledo or something. He's like, say Toledo. Say Toledo. Yeah. Actually, I have nothing against yeah, Toledo. I don't know. Toledo. Book me. Um, I mean, the, the one place that I, uh, had, uh, I would say kind of like a shitty time, but it wasn't, it wasn't the town. It was just like the circumstances. It was like two days after my dog, I had to put my dog down mm. and then I had to go open for Pablo Francisco in Appleton, Wisconsin. And I was like, this is, the worst. I was just like, I can't do this. This is awful. Yeah. I remember I had a panic attack on stage oh and I thought, gosh. what if I had a seizure? I was like, if I had a seizure right now, they would all think it was an act out and I would be dead before they realized that this wasn't a bit. And I had that, I had that realization and I couldn't say it out loud because I was in the middle of a panic attack about it. So I just had to like get through my set thinking I'm not having a seizure. I'm not having a seizure. I was just like having this like crazy traumatic, like fucking moment up there. And I just had to like finish my set and it was, it was so bad. Like it was so awful. It was like, if you were, um, it's like if you were John Wayne Gacy and you were in your clown costume, <laughs> realizing you were about to get caught. Like that was what I felt like. It was just like, <laughs> why right now is this happening? Like what was happening in the world was so not, aligned with what was happening in my head mm -hmm. and in my body that I was, that it was like comically awful. <laughs> How did you get through it? You just were like focusing on one bit at a time type deal. I just did my fucking set. Just I just like set. mailed yeah. it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was just like, just get through your fucking set and go home and just lock yourself in that hotel room and order a pizza. That's what I did. <laughs> well, that's uh 
That's that's good advice for anyone. Just think about pizza if you're having a panic attack on stage. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, don't worry. Brandon asked about worst city, but then he also called me Michael Sarah. So he's not a credible <laughs> He's not a credible source. Brandon's not credible. <laughs> I don't know, man. That was pretty on point. I'll be honest. He's got... <clears throat> I hate to I hate to go sign that. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've heard it before. I I actually took I actually took a photo with someone um, after a show because I thought I was Michael Sarah, and I just played along with it. So, great, that's yeah. a great move. Just go. You should open up a cameo as Michael Sarah. <laughs> just see what happens. That's a great idea. I should start getting some of this quarantine coin. Yeah. Exactly. Get the bag. Get uh, the bag. Oh, Matt. Uh, Matt Taylor says, "Love Rosebud. She was my favorite on Inside Jokes." Oh, great. Yeah, that's so sweet. Uh, let me see. We have a few more here. Um, Dylan O'Neill, who is actually all the way from Ireland. Actually, this one's coming from. But he said. First off, wanted to say I loved you on Inside Jokes, Rosebud, and I wondered, as a comedian, how do you break down the most vulnerable parts of your life and make them humorous on stage? I'm trying to do it with gambling, but haven't been able to break through yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a certain part, I think I already went into this a little bit, but I can add one more thing to it, yeah. which is that... Um, you know, a lot of times you'll uh, <laughs> you'll feel uncomfortable about the bit, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not funny. You might just be uncomfortable revealing yourself on stage. And so what I would say is if you think something's funny, keep telling the joke until um, you're so comfortable telling it that you don't care if it bombs or not. Um. And at that point, once you're comfortable saying it, then I think the funny comes through. But it takes some practice to just be able to be like, all right, you know, these people are going to find this out about me. But how do we know that those people that are listening to you don't have fucked up shit that they're trying to hide? You know, because a lot of times people won't laugh at stuff, not because of what you're saying, not because what you're saying isn't funny, but because they're uncomfortable laughing at that part of themselves. So it's, I would just say, keep, you know, be on your own side, be your own advocate. Um, keep telling a joke until, you know, run it by your friends. Your comic friends can help a lot with this shit mm. because they can see what's funny about something before you can sometimes. And then you can build off of like the things that they've helped you with. Um, I had to run this, the jokes about my sister by so many people. I had to get tags from people. I needed, I needed help with that bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's not done yet. But I think if you just keep working at it, it, it does end up, you'll get there, is what I'm saying. If you know what your thing is, if you know what your uh, dark where your skeletons are and you're willing to just go there, then great. That's like, most people don't even know that they don't even know what part of themselves is like 
shameful. Oh, you know, great point. Yeah, knowing where the skeletons are and then being willing to talk about them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And it is like yours. It starts off with you knowing there's something funny there. You just haven't found it yet. But if you believe there's something there, it seems like just it's a matter of time if you're willing to put in the work to find it that you'll eventually find it with those steps you just said. So right. that's super yeah. helpful. Yeah. And I think that's what Leo Leo was saying with like pretty much. So you naturally think of a shock value joke or awful thing that's immediately funny to you. And then you later figure out a better way to build it up and soften the punch with like taking it to people yeah. that you trust. Yeah. It's a right. good, yeah. um, good breakdown there, Leo. Yeah. So just look, like we have like two more here. Um, if that's okay with you, are you good right now? Rosebud? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, Trent Babb asks, what's the difference between act outs and overselling it? Hmm. Um, I would say, uh, you know, I, I think it's the only difference is like the way that you judge it. I don't, I don't think it's like you could watch somebody who's great at act out and well, like sometimes you'll see an act out in a place where it doesn't need to be. Um, you know, you'll see a comic kind of, doing with their body what they could or they could just like tell a joke like the joke is there and the joke is strong enough and the, but you see them doing like a phone call or like a you know what I mean um and so I guess there's something about overselling it that just feels inorganic yeah but uh yeah I guess that would be that would be the difference when I'm, when I'm watching it. But I, I mean, I don't know. You could take a boomerang of me on stage and it looks like a photograph. So I, <laughs> I might not be the person to ask that. <laughs> but I, I think it also, I think it comes down to authenticity again. Like you're saying, you know, like if yeah. it's, if it's true to you and your comedy style, then it won't seem like you're overselling it. But if it looks like you're trying to do something for the sake of you, like replicating some other version of a comedian you saw, then it will come off yeah. as overselling yeah. it. If it looks like you are trying to get into act outs, you know what I mean? Then, then you're overselling. If it looks like you just found out, Oh, I think I need more act outs in my comedy. Right. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, like somebody came up to me and they were like, you should do more act outs. And I was like, why i don't i don't need to i mean i can move more on stage but i don't need to do act outs I, it's not like a thing that it would look like someone having a breakdown <laughs> you know <laughs> they're just who i am oh and, and carly was sympathizing with your um panic attacks on stage she says she does it all the time where she thinks what would happen if i got sick on stage no one would help me so then i start panicking Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird thing. But it's just coming back, just trying to be as present as possible, I guess, helps. Or like you did with that set, muscling through. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, don't, it was all so connected because my dog had had a seizure. Right. And I'd never seen, well, I'd seen somebody have a seizure before, but it was like, that was from like alcohol shit. So like, 
I hadn't seen a seizure come on all of a sudden. And I just thought maybe there's something in my apartment and maybe I have it too. And I just like, I started like, it was nuts, but yeah, it's crazy. You just go through it. You just go, just breathe. (laughs) Just breathe. Remember to breathe. Yeah. And this is a business question. Imri asks, is a manager necessary? And if so, when? Um, a manager is only necessary once you're starting to be approached by managers. Hmm. Uh, before that, you don't have enough going on for a manager to be able to help you anyway. And um, I think getting a manager too soon is you're just giving money away for no reason because mm-hmm. they're not going to they're really just going to be like answering emails for you and you might feel important or something, but you'll realize like the managers that come in. Oh no, we lost her sound. And just to piggyback off what she was saying is, um, I interviewed Tamara Goins on the podcast and she's the head of comedy innovative artists. And she's a manager agent. And she said, don't, you don't need a manager until you have something worth managing. So keep that in mind with your career as well. That um, just wait till you have something worth managing before you need a manager. And it was interesting to hear Rosebud say earlier that when she talked to a manager at JFL, she already knew what she wanted. And she already had a vision for what she was wanting to accomplish in comedy. So until you know those answers, that there's no reason to get like a manager agent or someone to make you feel important like she said sorry about that no you're great (laughs) we'll go ahead and land this plane because we're we're at about yeah we're at about an hour here so we got good advice and um i was just talking to them about i had interviewed the head of comedy of innovative artists and she's a manager Mm -hmm. and agent as well and her thing was like you don't need a manager until you have something worth managing so there's you know it's like one one piece just focus on getting funny and all your opportunities will come from that. So you and your your quick yeah. success in terms of just six years in and all you've been able to do is because you're authentic and you're funny. And I think comedy needs more comedians like you. And I'm I'm thrilled for your success because you're showing Thanks. not only the comics that it's possible, but it's also like this is how it can be done in an authentic way, which I think is why so many people really like I've like I've done several of these, but when I posted you were going to be on here, so many people were just like, yes, she's one of my favorites. I love, they were able to name specific uh, things about like your bits or things they heard you do. And I think that authenticity, that's what makes you so memorable, I think, is your authenticity. So... Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. That means a lot to me. Well, I really appreciate you doing this. And, you know, this is like a comedy education show. So before we get out of here, is there any other favorite advice you've gotten or any wisdom you could bestow upon the hot breath of us? Um, I would just say if, uh, you know, if you're just getting into comedy, um, you know, the most important thing and I hated hearing this was just get funny and that's I I know it's like it's been said so many fucking times and you and you 
especially when you're like two years in, you want like a cheat sheet. I've had comics right. come up to me and go, what did you do? How did you get where you are? And I'm like, I just wrote jokes and everything kind of took care of itself. And I, you know, there is like, it's, it's a thing that you can study. Like you can learn comedy. You don't have to be born funny. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was born funny. Um, I, I think I kind of, it was like a combination, like, like there were things that I did that were funny, but I didn't realize it. And, um, I'm kind of trying to get a little bit more into that. Like I'm trying to get a little bit more into like the silly side of me and I'm doing it a lot in with my podcast with Andy. Um, uh, find your beach and yes, yes. it's we'll plug there. We'll plug but it all. I, yeah. Yeah. But you can learn to get funny. You just have to study comedy the way that, you know, you have to learn comedy and, um, and try to approach it the same way that you would approach learning piano, Boom. you know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's, that, that's, that's gold advice. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole goal with hot breath and the podcast and the comedy network and all the content we create here is helping comics, giving them access to comedians like you and the lessons you've learned the hard way. But it is, it comes down to, you've got to be willing to put in the work at the end of the day. There's no short. Oh, I want to say one more. Yeah. I want to say one more thing. Uh, also, if you, if you don't have a therapist <laughs> and you can afford it, get a therapist huh. because you will learn about yourself in a, you'll learn deeper parts of yourself and without that knowledge, you're not going to be able to write from a place of depth. So, uh, I think getting a therapist or like, even if you don't have one, if you can't afford one, get a journal, start like asking yourself questions about shit, you know, like mm. any kind of question where it's like, why do I fear this thing? Right. Why do I fear, um, losing my career right if your answer to that question that that question holds a lot right if your answer to that question is i don't know you have a shitload to learn about yourself if you can't answer why am i afraid of being alone in a way that's like you have a definitive answer you have a lot to learn about yourself so like there's so many things about us that um, that we have to discover to get funny and to get, um, and to get real with our audience. And I think we kind of have to excavate shit from ourselves that other people aren't really willing to, to excavate, mm -hmm. you know, comics have to be honest with themselves in a way that other people don't want to be. So, um, that's the other, that's the other part of the advice that I give. And if you don't know those answers yet and you can't afford therapy, how do you excavate that? Is it just repetition of asking yourself over and over again? Well, it's like, why am I? Okay, I'll give you an example of like, so let's say, um, all right, if I was going to answer that question, why am I afraid of being alone? Um, because I, I don't want to die alone. Okay. Why, why don't you want to die alone? Because if I die alone, it'll be sad. And it's like, okay, for who? For me, 
okay, but you'll be dead. So what is it really? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and the truth of the matter is like, why am I afraid of being alone? Because I'm, because I don't want to feel all of my feelings because I see, because I'm still judging sadness as something, as something bad is happening. Hmm. Right. But that's not necessarily true. If you're sad, it doesn't mean something bad is happening. It means that you, uh, there's, I could just keep going with this, but you get it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah through it ask yourself the questions ask yourself what's at stake and really answer it like from a place of real vulnerability um and just see what you find out about yourself you know i love that that's some of my favorite advice we've interviewed over 200 comics but that's that's some of my favorite advice right there that self-reflection and like self-excavation i i really love that thanks for sharing that Thanks for being willing to share that also. Yeah, yeah well, what else is seven years of therapy going to do? <laughs> well worth the price. <laughs> so you, you had started to plug earlier, but please please plug everything you have going on. Please. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, so I, um, I have a podcast called Devil's Advocate on all things comedy. That comes out every Tuesday. Uh, I've been doing them alone lately, which I wasn't the plan originally, but I, I'm kind of loving it. Um, I also have a podcast called Find Your Beach mm-hmm. with my Beyonce, um, <laughs> Andy Haynes. And we, uh, we wake up every morning with podcasted every single day of the quarantine. Um, that one is very silly mm-hmm. and... Uh, and stupid and gross and fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, what else? Uh, we, what else do I have going on? (laughs) I, I'm doing, uh, a segment for the weekly, which is Australia's daily show. I'll be uh, doing some correspondent work on that. Um, and then besides that, I'm, that's it. I'm, heading back to new york next week and i'm just gonna go right into the belly of the beast what yep Um, what yeah i needed to get on a plane i can't stay here anymore this is purgatory and i want them to let me into hell so that is (laughs) that's how i'm done wow i blame andy for that the quarantine with a fiance has driven you to ground zero (laughs) he wanted to stay and i was like absolutely not we gotta go back to new york and he's going with you he's going to also yeah that is love that he's willing yo all right well this may be it so i'm glad (laughs) we got rosebud at the the zero hour here that's great yeah and and all your uh, social media anything they can follow you is it all rosebud baker i believe yeah, it's Rosebud Baker yeah. on Instagram, mm-hmm. TikTok, Twitter, all that jazz. Facebook, blah blah blah. I'm um same on all of them. Oh, this has been so it's great. Branding kids. Yes, I keep it all the same. <laughs> there some some people are Gumby on Twitter, and then they're Jedi twenty seven on Instagram. It's, yeah, keep it all the same. Yeah, oh, beautiful. All right, well that's it. Hot breath of Go forth, support Rosebud, follow her, listen to all of her podcasts. 
And we will see you back here with another comedians on Skype talking comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's saying great. Thanks, Rosebud. Everyone's saying great job. Everyone loved it. All right, y'all. Thank you. Have Thanks a good so much day. for having me. Of course. Thanks for putting <sighs> so much great uh, comedy out there for us to enjoy. Bye. Absolutely. That's so sweet. I really, this was really fun. Oh, good. Yeah. We'll have to get, um, let's see what other comics we can get on here. You think of any other comics that may enjoy doing this? I mean, Andy might like doing it. If you want to have Andy on, think- it'd be so funny if you were like, nah, he's <laughs> <laughs> sitting right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll schedule one to do with Andy. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've been a, f- fan of andy since he he did a modern comedian did you ever see that modern comedian he did where it was him preparing for a conan set you never even saw your your fiance's content yeah this was several years ago scott moran who's like a director in comedy now um, he did this web series uh about comedians and his was his with andy was him preparing for his uh first conan set so yeah, I've been a, I've been Aww, hip to Andy for cute. a minute. So yeah, we'll definitely connect after this and get Andy on here soon. All right, hot breath yeah, of verse. Yeah. Have a good day. We love all you right. all. Bye. Bye. There it is, hot brethren and sistren. We are on a mission here at Hot Breath to cultivate the next generation of great comics. And you listening to this makes you a part of that revolution we are starting here. So please. Spread the positivity, spread the information, share this with fellow comics, share this with fellow comedy fans. We have over 400 interviews. We have an entire database of comedy education that, at this point, is comedy's best kept secret. So the more you can help us get out there, the more impact we can have in changing comedy for the better. And if you're a comic listening to this and you want to level up your game, go into the description of this episode to learn more about Hot Breath Pro and how you can get involved in Q&As like this one, as well as other events we have around helping you get feedback and accountability just to help you get better at comedy faster. But that is it, my friends. Every Monday we do another episode, and I look forward to seeing you right back here next Monday on Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.